What's going on, everybody? Welcome to another episode of the Normal Guy at Lazy Eye podcast presented by House Enterprise. As always, I'm your host, Jared Magazine, just your neighborly normal guy with a lazy eye here chatting with incredible guests to tell their unbelievable stories. Today, we have a very special guest, a dear friend of mine, one of my best friends, Corey Tomlinson joins the show. And Corey is the founder of Make It Loud. Make It Loud is a LLC that is promoting charitable voices and partnering influential people in our society with charities around the world to help amplify or make it loud the charities that these individuals, these influential people really care a lot about. He's been working with some incredible people in the industries of athletics, influencers, celebrities, actors, you name it. But more importantly, he's aligning them with the things that they care about outside of their industry that they're passionate about, whether it's ALS, cancer, Habitat for Humanity, you name it. Corey is amplifying the voices of those charities through these influential people. Corey's here to tell his incredible story of how he's gotten to this entrepreneurship path. We're here to talk a lot about mental health and student athletes from his time as a team manager for the UCLA gymnastics team. We're here to talk about obviously his career path um, to make it loud. And two, we touch on name, image, and likeness in a way that we haven't talked on it, uh, talked on the show about it yet. I think after listening to the show, if you're a student athlete, I say it in the interview, but if you're, if you want to listen to it right now, if you are a student athlete and you don't want to talk to Corey after this, I I mean, I would definitely, um, you know, check it out a little bit because as much as it's fun to sling brand deals, as much as it's awesome to be able to align yourself with some of the coolest brands that are out there, putting yourself on top of something that you care a lot about beyond cool clothes, cool things like that, but making an impact, I think is super important. So without further ado, here is one of my favorite interviews, a dear friend of mine, Corey Tomlinson. This is the Normal Guy Lazy Eye Podcast, a true eye-opening experience. You know, one thing that has been so special about doing this show is having some of my most amazing friends on the show come in and share their incredible stories. Today, we have one of those amazing people. Corey Tomlinson is the founder of Make It Loud. Make It Loud is a social impact agency facilitating purposefully aligned influence in the community for professional and college athletes, influencers, businesses, and charities around the globe. Additionally, Corey is the official hype man of the University of Arkansas gymnastics team, working with the athletes on motivation, inspiration, and enthusiasm. On top of that, Corey is one of my best friends and one of the nicest people that I know. So Corey, welcome to the show, man. Jared, you say too many nice things about me. This is crazy. <laughs> I'm so honored to be here. Man, it's been a while, but it's, it's happy to be over Zoom and making this thing happen. It has been a while. Many of our friends that are probably listening in will say that this is overdue. But how how oh, are yeah. you? How have things been? So it's been way too long. <laughs> Bro, it's been awesome. I, I've been so great. I am just grateful to be running down this journey and running down this path of I really feel like I'm in line with what I've always been meant to do. And it's so cool to watch how all of those paths have aligned and all those like roads have converged. And we'll get to how that happened um, in this show. But 
I'm just feeling grateful and, and honored to get to wake up every morning and do what I love. That's been the amazing thing for me to see from outside the fishbowl is just like watching you, you know, kind of, you know, just excel in all these different endeavors that you've taken on since, you know, the last time that we saw each other in person, which does feel like eons ago, but it's just like, it, whenever I see a Corey on social media, I know it's something amazing that you're doing. So keep up the good work. And we're let, like, to, to your point, we're going to dive into everything today. So I'm super excited. Thanks, Jared. I'm excited to chat about it. So, like I said, we're going to dive right in. And I think a part of you is just how you grew up in the Tomlinson household and, and kind of that fit those family pillars that you have. So can you kind of share a little bit about life growing up in the Tomlinson household and some of the values that really brought your family together? Yeah. So I grew up in Southern California and growing up a kid down here, I was... I was grateful to be really blessed with my upbringing. You know, my mom was working for a Fortune 500 company as a top executive. My dad, um, to my knowledge, we can get to that in a second. To my knowledge, my dad was um, going back to school to um, learn the entertainment world and the tech world and later got a job at Disneyland. Um, and, um, you know, my brother is six years older than me and was always a huge role model for me, but we couldn't be more opposite human beings in any sense of the word. So it was really cool just to kind of find those pieces of alignment with me and my brother. But growing up, some of the pillars of our house was like two things. One is kind of humorous, but it has meat to it. One of them is um, we are always the last people to leave any venue that you ever will find us in. So you find that (laughs) it's true. Like whether like the cool part about it would be like yeah the Tomlinsons they're the ones who like stay and like clean up the event like that's like the charitable and like rad side of us but the other side of us is the side that sits at Outback Steakhouse after our bellies are still full and dad keeps ordering refill diet cokes light ice and you know we're watching sports and like talking about the next great endeavor that our family is gonna do so we always leave wherever we are the the fine the last people like waiters are kicking us out yeah but the the other pillar that I was brought up on was like giving back is like a non-negotiable in our family um and that sounds really forceful and it never ever was taught to me in a forceful way it was just what we did mm-hmm. um you know growing up ever since I was three years old I would actually go and help my mom with a um le- I'm going to refer to it as kind of like the miscongeniality of California. Um, so if you know that movie, that's pretty much what we did. But it's a scholarship. <laughs> it's a scholarship program for young women in high school, um, mm-hmm. teaching them um, to be them their best self by by elevating them in this kind of like we don't use the word pageant because it has nothing to do with their looks, but it's based on scholastics, interview, fitness, talent, all this stuff. And you're like, okay, Corey, where does this come into giving back? Well, I was the three-year-old kid who was painting sets for the stage show that would happen every summer. And I would dedicate two and a half weeks with my my mom, dad, and brother. Grandparents were there. Cousins were there to be the production team for this show. And I attribute so much of my heart for giving back now to the way that I was brought up by dedicating my summer to something that had nothing to do with myself. None of us were getting paid. It was something that we just really believed in the purpose of this cause um, and the, the belief in providing scholarships for young women in high school to go and further their education and higher education. Um, and that really allowed our family to kind of pave the way into what then turned into my brother serving in Rwanda and Mexico and my dad you know 
would honestly like every single time we were eating outside of the patio he would buy a meal for a homeless person that was like sitting down the street and you know my mom continued to to work with the the um it's now called the Distinguished Young Women Program, but it used to be called California Junior Miss Program. Um, and that's what led me into the, the different charitable spaces that have guided me to where I am today. But those two pillars really have formed and shaped who I am. And, and, and honestly, looking back, it's like there was so much purpose in the way that my parents like paved that way for me and my brother that have led to some pretty emotional moments for our family, but also like really impactful and 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 path shifting moments for us too. Definitely. And like, I, I think, you know, when everyone thinks about being charitable or giving back or, you know, helping out others, it does come down to that family pillar first. Like that's really where you learn the importance of giving back or giving to those less fortunate, because if you're growing up and, and that's not the case, then it maybe becomes a second thought. So I like growing up as a kid too, like I really wanted to kind of find my way into how to give back. And to your point, it's really like how, how your parents are kind of getting you involved and whether it is painting sets at a, to not use the word, a, a show, or, or it's right to, to get, you know, you know, box tops even, right. Or like something as simple as that. It's just like, get that itch for giving back and, and playing a part in the community because then when you become older and you can put your foot in the ground a little bit more and, and be that more pillar of the of your community than just like the third grader or whatever maybe it just becomes more natural I think absolutely I'll tell you today my dad still collects box tops for some elementary school kid that I don't even know like every time we have a box of cereal at the house he's like still cutting the box tops off and I'm oh like dad goodness. who is this going towards and he was right. like this person's like niece's friend's neighbor at work. And I'm like, okay, great. He's, we're still <laughs> pulling every pop tab off of every aluminum can that we have. And that goes to another like dog's uncles, whatever down the line that needed it in his fundraising. And yeah, wasn't the, what didn't Ronald McDonald house have the pop tabs too? That yeah. I remember that. I would have right. so many sodas just to do pop tabs. Hey, I mean, whatever <laughs> it took. And, and I think at the time in elementary school, I'm not sure we really understood like, what that really meant like yeah. the, like at the time it was all about competition and like right. our school our class most. was gonna like get a pizza party if we could yeah. get the most but at the end of the day I think that I'm like pretty grateful for those moments because looking back like hey I'm 29 years old and we're sitting on a podcast talking about box tops for education and pop tabs from aluminum cans dude and you know what's so funny like I I don't think I've ever shared this story on the podcast I don't even know if I've shared this with you I like to that point of that like competition I, when I was like in like, I want to say like fourth grade, I was, I was still living at my old house and my brother and I still shared a room. And I was like, let's start our own charity. And in fourth grade, right? Like entrepreneurship already. Yes. Let's go. Stone there. But I was like, let's start. Our, and Aaron's like, what do you, my twin brother, Aaron, for those that don't know who Aaron is, was like, what do you want to do? What do you like? What are you talking about? I was like, let's collect dimes. Everyone collects pop tabs or box or uh, box tops. Let's do dimes. Dimes for a difference was what I called it. And I like, like, I love that idea. So if anyone wants to steal that, do it, take it, run with it and just be, be amazing with it. But why just dimes? Why did I settle? Because I remember as a kid, I was like, I'm only collecting dimes. I don't need your pennies. I definitely don't want your quarters. I just want your dimes. It was crazy. I love that, man. I mean, at the end of the day, like, you know, we can look back on moments like that and we, we try to like hunt for 
what was that all about? Like, what was the motivation? Like, right. mo like some kids growing up, like you knew that their motivation of why they wanted dimes was to like make sure that they could buy the next greatest video game that their yes. like classmate had. But dimes for a difference, I would venture to say that you did have this like charitable spirit in your heart that you were like, I don't know how I'm making a difference, but man, <laughs> we're going to make one. Yeah, I was ready. The first first uh, box of dimes for dimes, dimes for a difference was my empty uh, full collection set of the Harry Potter books that were that came in that box. That was yeah. my first dimes for a difference box. I still wow. remember for some reason. I don't know why that I remember that so vividly, but that's where I filled to the brim full of dimes. Oh man. <laughs> okay. Wait, I'm a, I have a, this is like getting me really nostalgic and yes. we have a, we have a, a, a family question that we think is the hardest question and most thought provoking question that you could ever ask someone if you welcome them into your home. Okay. Um, and the question is, what is your earliest memory? And the thought, the, 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 the qualifier here is that the memory cannot have come from a picture that you remember seeing mm -hmm. or something that someone told you you experienced. It has to be a memory that you remember experiencing yourself. And, and the, the cool part about it is when you're sitting at like Thanksgiving or Easter or Christmas dinner and we're all sitting around a table and everyone's kind of like, hmm, yeah, huh. You know, eating pie because they don't really know what to like say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get back to me. Get but back. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> What, hap what happens is, is like you start sharing memories that you had, but then all of a sudden you share that one memory and that was at age five. And then all of a sudden you're like, oh, wait, this happened to me when I was four and a half. Oh, wait, this happened to me when I was four. And you start hearing about all these really interesting childhood memories that were cemented in yeah. um, at a young age. So you don't have to answer right now, but I, I, maybe like by the end of by the end of the show, I, I want to hear what one of your earliest childhood memories is, Jared. I think I got it. I think I can do it. Let's, let's hear is, it. And this, like, I, I want you to, for the people listening, remember Dimes for a Difference before I tell you this, because it's not as, like, cool as that. But the earliest one that I can remember was uh, where, where I grew up in Cota de Casa, very close to where you were. There was mm -hmm. this huge, huge, huge fire down there in, in, the, in the valley itself. And I just remember we evacuated and we drove to my dad's work. At, I want to say he was at Morgan Stanley. So it was right off the like right where um internet is now and yeah. and i i remember my dad was like like to, at the time was telling us like grab things if you want them and the three things that i grabbed i remember grabbing three things was one lego guy a gold coin and my biggest stuffed animal that i slept with every night at the time that's all i grabbed not like clothes i mean like like he didn't say like the house is gonna burn down but it was just like in, in your head as as young as i was i, I want to say i was like three or four like that's that's the most important things and i remember i remember being in morgan stanley watching the fire and we i remember we drove by the club and the fire was coming down what i think was the golf course and that's that's the earliest memory that i have that's pretty good man yeah that's cool that's that's good yeah. Okay. What it's, about you? I feel you like know, I, it's my show. I have to ask you your own question though. <laughs> I know, I know, I know, I know. Well, you know, what usually happens is like, for some reason, I always forget my earliest childhood memory as many times as we've had this conversation it always ends up on someone else and I never have to share. So you're putting me on the spot a little bit, okay. but what yeah. ends up happening is like, I usually go back to like moments that I had in my childhood that I tried to stay like on the positive side, even yeah, though oftentimes- well, well, oft, oftentimes, like 
being a like I have my degree in psychology like traumatic experiences are oftentimes the ones that you will remember like no matter how old or young you were right but so one of the ones that I remember and this was when I was five years old is um I remember going to the top of the World Trade Center and getting a smashed quarter from a lady who was doing one of those like really cool like you know, you put the quarter in, you put some other coins in to pay for it and you put your quarter in and it smashes it and imprints like a picture on it. Yeah. And I remember doing that with this woman. And then I remember on in 2001 watching downstairs on our television that day, September 11th. And the first words out of my mouth when I talked to my mom about like what was going on on the television is I said, I hope that the, the quarter lady is okay. Because yeah. like imagining her like when I was on the top of the World Trade Center and then now seeing what was going on, um, that was that's like a memory that kind of like compounded and continued yeah. to stay in my memory. Um, but that was five, and I'm sure I could go a little bit deeper, but that's where we're landing the plane today. There you go, and that's, I mean, yeah, you're exactly right. The, the, it's I just love that question. I man, I might have to steal that on a couple more episodes, and Mama Donna you might are, hate me for that, but. <laughs> No, you are more than welcome to take it. Anytime you welcome someone new into your home, it's like a perfect hospitality icebreaker. Like yeah. anyone on anyone listening right now, you're you're welcome to take it as well. You I know, the holidays are coming up. There you go. There you go. Perfect. Perfect. So uh, you went on, you just mentioned, you went on to UCLA to pursue a degree in psychology. Now, during your time at UCLA, you worked alongside the gymnastics team as the team manager. Now, for those of you who aren't as keen into UCLA gymnastics, let me kind of um, uh, educate you a little bit. The UCLA gymnastics is probably one of the most intense sporting environments in college athletics. Seven-time national champions, 23 NCAA regional championships, and 20 Pac-12 championships. Are you surprised? Are you impressed? Research. You're, you're crushing. You're crushing. This is incredible. But so what I'm trying to say to that is it's safe to say when you come to UCLA as a freshman gymnast, you're coming to compete for championships, right? Can you talk a little bit about your role as the team manager and what, what you meant to these athletes on their day-to-days? Yeah, well, let me preface this by saying my, my freshman class and I came into UCLA and then I was welcomed onto the team as a team manager. The fellow freshman athletes were a U.S. Olympian, mm-hmm. a U.S. Olympic alternate, a world champion from Canada, and one of the best level 10 gymnasts in the, in the state of California. Okay, so then there's Corey, who... <laughs> <laughs> I, it was just... It, I was not an Olympian, we'll put it that way. So um, yeah, I was no. definitely... <laughs> I was definitely a little bit of a fish out of water when mm-hmm. I walked into the gym. But my role became at first on paper it was the guy who organized rides to the Rose Bowl which for those of you who don't know the UCLA uh, culture our football stadium is 45 minutes away from campus so organizing rides to the Rose Bowl for recruiting visits it was making sure that um, everyone's attire was like honestly laundered and ready to go for whatever we were doing the next day I thought that I was signing up for like moving equipment in the gym which I definitely did Um, I didn't really realize I was signing up for laundry and (laughs) like making sure that rhinestones like were stuck on leotards, but that became a role that I just kind of had to take on. But ultimately the rest of my time at UCLA, um, I really made that role my own, which has become part of why it's such a huge, 
um, turning point and landmark um, in the timeline of my life. Um, I actually like to tell people that I became like the big brother to 20 fellow college students um, that they knew that they could, their words were safe with me. You know, I was also, they knew that if they said something that um, was worrisome that I was going to have to share it with the coaching staff, but it was all about safety and all about making sure that even with a trusted individual that um, everyone, like that I had their, their best interests at heart. Mm -hmm. And, you know, on the other cool side of the athletic side of that, I was on the floor for four national championships. Um, I was a part of a Pac-12, the first, the inaugural Pac-12 championship um, winning team when it went from Pac-10 to Pac-12. We won in Utah against our rivals. And, um, you know, that competitive experience, like, although I wasn't a competing woman who was doing gymnastics, um, you know, the team referred to me as the extra tent. Um, It was the ability to that, that they really like poured into me the, the fact that although I wasn't, you know, pointing my toes or sticking my landings or, you know, doing splits to 180 degrees, I could contribute to the team and give that extra 10 with my energy, with my positivity, um, and just being there for them. So it was a really incredible privilege to be able to do that. Yeah. And I think you bring up a really interesting point. I mean, I didn't have a a team manager to the extent that, that UCLA would, but we had a a team chaplain, Providence college Catholic school, go for it. But it kind of going back to your point of like, you know, you walked in as a freshman on this team, you weren't an Olympian, you weren't even competing, but you served as that, whether it was a you know shoulder to lean on, someone to talk to, ears to listen, just that's sometimes what athletes need. And, you know, we when team chaplain at Providence. It's like, he's not getting in the water and swimming with us. So he doesn't get that part of the aspect of it or like, you know, training, but like sometimes when you're talking to your teammates about the same things that they're going through, it can kind of fall on deaf ears because if they're not struggling in it as much as you feel like you are, then they're like, I don't, I, I can't help you. You know what I mean? Yeah. They can understand like, yeah, like this stuff gets harder. This can get difficult, but someone maybe hearing it from a outsider's perspective is like, whoa, you are going through a lot. Like, I get it. Like, I can't fathom what you're going through. And it just kind of like, it's like, okay, I'm not crazy for thinking like this. Right. I, I mean, the things that come to mind are a couple current things that we're seeing in college sports right now. It, it's those moments when you see like professional athletes take coaching roles that you're like, wait, what, what's happening here? Like, I thought that they would have this like illustrious career beyond sport. Like, why are they going back and like going to be on this college team? Right. We just saw Katie Ledecky get signed on to the University of Florida volunteer assistant coaching role. Like that whole idea it's way beyond just the fact that she is one of the most knowledgeable swimmers, which would qualify her as a coach, which is great. But imagine having one of the most knowledgeable swimmers in the history of swimming, being on the pool deck to be able to educate fellow swimmers who are also competing with her right now. And that competitive, that competitive environment, that, that drive for winning, the the ability for them to be able to kind of meet each other where they're at as one swimmer to another, instead of this sometimes odd hierarchy of coach to swimmer relationship, which can feel a little bit um, um, just delineated. I'll, yeah. I'll use that word, right? And 
that was kind of the way that I, I took on my role was, you know, I had the opportunity to sit in classes with my fellow teammates. I was a full-time student and I was a full-time team manager, but so were every student, every student athlete on campus. Um, right. And it was the ability to, you know, make sure that I was doing whatever I could to be there for all of those, all of those girls at the same time that I was doing everything I could in my ability to make sure I was staying on top of my own schoolwork, my own life stuff. So that when I did step into the gym, I was a hundred percent dedicated to the UCLA gymnastics team in whatever way capacity that they needed me to be. That's kind of where the whole, like where the big brother mentality really came in was, you know, when, when the team would be asking to like sacrifice something during season, like you hear in a lot of college sports, like there's like dry season or there's, um, uh, and for those of you who don't know, it's typically when you all choose to like not go out and you don't drink um, during season to really laser focus on, on um, your sport, you know, in gymnastics, there was also a lot of pressures when it came to endurance and food and fueling and, and energy sources and things of that sort. So, you know, me, a, you know, an 18 year old kid coming to college for the first time, did I want to like go down to Diddy Reese in Westwood and eat cookie sandwiches any chance I could get? Totally. And I didn't have to perform. And I didn't have to be in a leotard on the weekend. Right. But at the same time, I can tell you, I can count on one hand the amount of times I went to Diddy Reese in college, um, just because it was not the priority and it wasn't going to help us win a national championship. Mm-hmm. But I took on that same pressure that every single other athlete on the team was was feeling so that there was that trusted bond and relationship between myself and the fellow student athletes. Um, so that when we did get to the competition floor and I was moving a board or I was moving a mat, there was trust there to make sure that everyone on that competition floor was cohesive and coherent and ready to like do our very, very best um, to know that we wouldn't have regrets at the end of the season. And I learned so many life, life lessons through um, my four years at UCLA and it's just been awesome. Yeah, I love I love your point about you committing 100% just because the athletes are doing the same exact thing. Whether it's like, I, like the schoolwork thing is kind of crazy to me because, you know, an education at UCLA is not, you know, a walk in the park, right? An education anywhere is not a walk in the park, but you were still able to finish your homework and get everything done. So to that point that you could be in the same type of mindset, because at the end of the day, the athletes may not have hundred percent of their homework done, but when they get to that gym, where they, they jump in that pool, they get on that field, it's a hundred percent gymnastics. Now it's a hundred percent swim practice. Now it's a hundred percent football practice, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And just like you know, for a lot of managers out there, it can be like, nah, like this is my work study. You know what I mean? Like, and yeah. just having to be like fully committed, it probably meant the world then when the team wins their first PAC 12 championship, you know, when the, when the merger happens, or it means the world when you get to that floor at NCAAs because you were right there with them side by side, step by step. Oh, I refer to all of the girls that are on the team from 2010 to 2014 as my teammates. Mm -hmm. They were not the girls that were on the team. They are my teammates. Right. They refer to me as one of their teammates. Like when Mm -hmm. I go and work gymnastics camps now, like people will say, hey, we were on the team together. Like we were teammates. Like, so there was no separation. Although I was not a girl and I didn't do gymnastics at UCLA, it, it was, it was, we were teammates and there was, there was no, 
there was no ifs, ands, or buts about that. And it made me feel really special, but it also created a really cool team culture and team environment that has just been something, like I said, I've learned a lot of life lessons around creating that. that environment and creating that culture around me as I go and pursue different goals and endeavors in life too. I love that. And before we move on from the UCLA stuff, I just wanted to touch on this because, you know, we've had plenty of athletes on the show to talk about their experiences, especially college athletes talk about their mental health experiences as an athlete. I just wanted to get your two cents or your more right about kind of from that outsider's perspective, your, your point, like, yes, you were on the team. Yes. You committed to these, you were committed to your teammates, just kind of like seeing how they were going through this. What was your experience like in, in the importance and seeing the importance of mental health and student athletes? Man, firing, firing questions, Jared. Come <laughs> on, bro. This is a. We'll get to the fun ones. I promise. I promise. I promise. Uh, hey, this is a fun question, and it's so important. Like, I, I, I don't want to overlook it, and I want to pour value into it because. I don't want to sound cliche in saying that this is one of the most important topics of our current time, especially when it comes to sport. Um, I'm currently so, um, I don't know what the word is. I, I am saddened to watch the ramifications that mental health has had on athletes like Naomi Osaka, um, athletes like Simone Biles, um, I'm going to name those two, you know, Kevin Love is coming to mind. He's a fellow UCLA Bruin and doing so much in this space for mental health. Um, but there are so many more people that I could add to this list. Um, Ella Easton is one that comes to mind as well. A good friend of ours um, in a really different way. But, you know, these people that are coming to mind, the reason that I'm bringing them up and the answer of what was my experience in, in mental health is, I was walking a journey with athletes where I was listening to some of the incredibly important, incredibly thoughtful, and um, real-life moments that they were going through when all that the public was seeing was a pretty leotard and perfect braided hair and, and hoping for stuck landings and hoping for perfect 10.0s. What I was hearing on the back end was when boyfriends were breaking up with them, when home life over Christmas break was not peachy king the way that people would imagine it would be when you get to go home for the holidays. What I was hearing were all were stories that was the baggage that they were carrying with them when yeah. they did salute that judge and they felt the 14,000 people in Poly Pavilion looking at them and hoping for the national championship to be, be brought back to Westwood. I felt that pressure with the, my student athletes, my, my, my teammates. And, you know, I will, I will say as odd as it sounds, like I faced some of those feelings myself. I, I faced some of those mental health battles that, um, are so real and I felt the anxiety that came alongside of competition and I felt the 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 depression that came um after the national championships after we lost the national championships and you know we lost by one tenth that's a scoot of a foot on a floor exercise routine you know I that the depression that came after that was really weird because were we so grateful and we had no regrets finishing the season? Absolutely. Like no one can take away the joy we experienced throughout the season, 
But at the same time, we also needed to give all of our own teammates permission to walk through the mourning process of losing the way that we all needed to. Mm -hmm. And so my experience um, in that space was was really unique and it has created a very soft spot in my own heart for being there for student athletes today, being able to talk out their story, being able to listen, be for myself to be a listening ear. Um, I'm grateful and honored to be a phone call away from many current student athletes who need to just talk out what they've experienced and they're not looking for me to provide life altering psychologist wisdom and I, I, I tell them every time you get, I'm like, Hey, you know, I, you know, I'm not a psychologist, but I am here to listen. <laughs> yeah. I am here to, I'm here to listen to you. And I think that is the most important part of what is going on today is let athletes speak and be a listening ear. And sometimes, I mean, we've heard this somewhere, be slow to speak and be quick to listen. Mm-hmm. And if we continue to do that, I think that more athletes specifically, but more people um, are going to be able to share their story and be more understood than they feel like they are when they are sitting in their bedroom alone, wondering if that anxiety is ever going to go away. And that's kind of the day that I'm hoping for is that we are all able to be able to listen to everyone's story and have permission just to like be ourselves. So Yeah. I mean, first of all, I just want to say thank you so much for sharing that. And thank you so much for shedding light on the importance. I think the biggest point that hit me was when you talked about just the fact that everything that these fans or even, you know, rival, rival fans see on, you know, the SEC network, PAC network, ESPN, whatever it is, they see what they want to see. They see that, you know, they hope for the good scores. They hope for the, the game winning drive. They hope for all of that, but they don't necessarily, like, it doesn't matter how bit, how many ESPN, like inside the team views that you get. All of that is so glorified because no one wants to cover a Tuesday morning, 9am test. No one wants to cover you know, the phone call home. That's, you know, things aren't going well. No one wants to cover the awkward dinners at Christmas break. No one wants to cover that type of stuff. And that's why we don't see it. And so when an athlete goes to talk about it, it's a foreign language. It's so like, what are you talking about? That's not, that's not how this world that we've built for you. These non-athletes have built for athletes that you're living in. And and I'm sorry if I'm on this soapbox and I don't think I've gotten uh, the right words to say all the time when I talk about this, but it's just like that snow globe effect that all these athletes are in. And, you know, that's what we want to see. And that's what the world wants to see from these athletes. And that's it. No, I mean, I remember phone calls from you when you were um, at Providence and, you know, I'm, I'm just going to take one of the smaller examples to publicly talk about. And it was just, you know, it was Corey, I have a final tomorrow morning, but I also, have like a ton of pressure on me to swim the very best 500 freestyle that I possibly can swim this afternoon. I I'm sitting here the night before, and I'm just trying to figure out where to put my brain power, trying to put, I'm trying to figure out how to separate my own energy is one aspect of it. Anxiety exists because I'm very anxious about both. And I want to be successful at both of them. And those three lanes, those feelings that you felt in all three of those lanes looked really different. So when we talk about anxiety and the complicated nature of the thoughts that are going through student athletes' heads, like 
honestly, in that moment, I, I, I had no brilliant words to share with you other than like to be a listening ear and then to, you know, hang up the phone eventually and say, hey, just put your head down and get your studies done so that you can get to bed at a decent hour because that's going to help you be successful at both of these activities that you're trying to do tomorrow. Mm-hmm. That's not brilliant. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not giving you like world's inc- most incredible wisdom of how to get rid of all of that anxiety. At the end of the day, what we are in the phase of doing right now is we are we are trying our best to have the tools in our toolbox to know where the resources are that are going to motivate us to be the best version of ourselves that we can be, to be able to help us control everything that is in in our control, whether that's just organizing our thoughts, helping us actually get things organized. Maybe it's like you have papers all over your backpack or you have like a desktop full of icons that you just need to like sort into folders for a day. Whatever the case may be, it's having the resources with you to make sure that you're able to categorize those properly and be able to be when your best is needed, that you're able to show up at your best. Totally. And I, I thank you every single day for being there for me when, especially when I was just trying to get my feet on the ground and and in a whole new state and get everything kind of situated. So always thankful for you. Um, But Let's so let's kind of get to kind of how we met too, because everyone's talking like we were, we're best friends and like how did how did these people even get to know each other, right? So let's after graduating from UCLA, you went to work for the Jesse Reese Foundation, a foundation that we've talked a lot about on this show. Uh, the Jesse Reese's mission, uh, the Jesse Reese's Foundation's mission is to encourage every kid fighting cancer to never ever give up by delivering joy jars to those fighting cancer and in their fight. Um, during their battles, right? Just like as Jesse did uh, with her fight in D- uh, DIPG. How did you first get involved? I'll tell the story of how we met. <laughs> how did I get involved? <laughs> so um, the easy way to put it is um, uh, my mom actually started working for the foundation um, at the very, very, very first gala that was mm-hmm. ever going to happen. Um, and it was pretty special. And when I talk about like the very, very, very first, I mean the very first because she actually sat down with Jesse while she was still fighting and helped put together a gala and plan a gala that um, was filled with all of what Jesse wanted the gala to look like. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, 10 days before the gala was scheduled to happen is when Jesse moved to heaven in January of 2012. You know, but my mom has been involved for a very long time with the emotional feelings that happened and surrounded that, um, I, I felt them. I was at school at the time, and um, but I felt them because the Reese family were members of the church that I was going to. Um, the Reese family were also members of the swim team that I participated in through high, through like not just high school. My goodness, I I swam for much longer than just high school. <laughs> um, uh, so I felt this tie to them and they lived 10 minutes away from my house. So right. the community was rallying around their family, but then also I had this like inside knowledge of what was really going on of how this foundation was starting. And because my mom was really helping get it off the ground. Well, anyways, fast forward the summer before my senior year of, of uh, college, mm-hmm. they needed someone to be a driver for the very first hospital tour that they were going to do. Yes. Now, when I tell you that I, they needed a driver, they literally needed someone to be behind the wheel of a big blue van that had Nigu all over the side of it yes. and drive the national spokesperson from Sacramento to San Diego and visit 14 children's hospitals and do nine boys and girls club presentations. Now at the time, <laughs> I was supposed to be like a suited up, 
like chauffeur of this van. Right. Then slowly but surely they started realizing that there might be a little bit more to me that I could give and I could actually provide other than just like driving a car. And so ultimately what happened was that that summer, um, Caitlin Sandino, their national spokesperson and um, four-time Olympic medalist in swimming, uh, and I did those 14 children's hospital visits and nine boys and girls club presentations. And it was the start of my heartbreaking for kids fighting cancer and their families. It was the start of me finding my voice in a charitable space to inspire groups of people to give and to bring awareness to a cause. Um, It was the start of this relationship building purpose that I, I have created of finding an influential person and helping them find their voice and finding the, the heart alignment with the cause that they represent. And uh, that's ultimately how I got started. And then I got hired right after I got out of college and five and a half years later, um, I, I was with the Jesse Reese Foundation for five and a half years and it was yeah. the best the best time ever. And that's where we met. What's up, everybody? Just want to take a quick break from this week's interview to talk a little bit about this month's sponsorship, and that is Good Filling. Now, I always love working with my favorite Boston brands, and Good Filling is definitely one of my new ones. Now, Good Filling is bringing convenience to the zero waste movement. The future isn't necessarily recycling, it's refilling. Now, Good Filling is helping the people of Boston reduce waste by offering high-quality name-brand soaps, lotions, detergents, surface sprays, and more, plus a discounted refill once you are out. They just brought me over an all-purpose spray for cleaning surfaces, some very needed hand sanitizer. I feel like everyone needs a good hand sanitizer in and around wherever they are, whether it's their apartment or their car, what have you, and some good old trusty hand soap. I feel like we run out of hand soap in my apartment all the time and also too it came in this beautiful produce bag that i definitely need to go to the grocery store more often because i need to stop ordering food on the apps anyways the great thing about them is once you get started you have to go to go visit goodfilling.com that's g-o-o-d-f-i-l-l-i-n-g.com or the good filling app pick out all the things that you want for the cleaning supplies and all the natural home and body products that you need Once a bottle is empty, all you have to do is swap it out for a discounted refill at one of their 20 different trading post locations around the city of Boston for an easy pickup and drop off type of deal. It's all great quality stuff. I've been trying it out um, this week and I'm so excited to have this partnership here. So again, to learn more about Good Filling, head over to goodfilling.com. That's G-O-O-D-F-I-L-L-I-N-G.com. And now back to the interview. Yeah, that's where we met. And uh, first thing I'll say about Caitlin Sandino, and and if she she better be listening to this, but and she needs to come on the show herself. But I feel like if you if you're stuck in a van from Sacramento to San Diego or vice versa, you're going to become friends with that person <laughs> regardless. We're talking about a friendship that has been molded um, from quite an, an eye opening experience, I guess. But um, yeah, so we did meet uh, December officially. Like I knew of you. I was on the junior board of directors. I think you had been in the office a couple of times just passing by. Um, and I knew you swam for Mission Viejo and a lot of the friends that I had at the time swam for Mission Viejo. Um, but it wasn't until Santa Stroll 2014, I want to say. Yeah. Yep. Yep. No, 20, 
20 was it my junior year anyways you were wearing well, buddy the elf costume and it was i time was wearing you- the buddy the elf costume yes right you were buddy mm-hmm. the elf um and santa claus was santa claus buddy the elf was uh, on vacation at the time so, so Corey had to step in and um i just remember you you ran into the high school's like storage closet or whatever it was i forget really what it was and you just go jared do you mind just watching the door for me while i change out of my yellow tights and i was like sure you like i was like i was like i think it's Corey. <laughs> you know when but, a guy needs to get out of his yellow tights he needs a doorman where, that's where you go be the doorman and then that literally became eight years of friendship today <laughs> like it's just it's so that's real how it happened and but so um to your point d- during your time at the foundation uh, you've been involved a lot with athletes and the foundation themselves have been a part of you know a lot of athletes become a part of the foundation but when did you really start to take it beyond uh just hospital visits with the athletes and more so bringing it on to to you know no pun intended but to use their playing ground as as kind of the examples and kind of the events that you would put off yeah i mean i have to i have to give credit where credit's due um jesse came up with the idea and why the jesse reese foundation even is involved or chooses a purpose or even you know created a a role an employee to be dedicated to this special group of what they call as NIU all-stars yeah Jessie wanted it because um what her formula was was to take a really special person and her very special joy jars and to go and do a very special experience to deliver those joy jars to a kid fighting cancer in the hospital. At the time when Jesse was fighting cancer, she was that special person. She was walking around with the red wagon, delivering those joy jars. Um, But after Jesse moved to heaven, the family knew that that formula still had to exist. And that's where Caitlin came on as the national spokesperson and why athletes kind of were presented as the avenue by which that was going to happen. So your question of when did it start to be beyond the hospital visit? Um, You know, when I came on the team in 2014, um, my role really wasn't anything more than facilitating hospital visits and facilitating the operations of getting the Joy Jar product into the hands of the 250 children's hospitals in the United States of America. Um, Now, what came of that was I knew with those hospital visits I needed to find these influential people to be able to deliver them with that formula Jesse created and that's when I started to bring on friends of mine that I had met at UCLA so UCLA being a breeding ground for many professional sports teams um, in terms of like great athletes come just come from there Um, one of the first ones that I worked with was Kellen Rowe, who played um, for a lot of years at the New England Revolution um, in New England or in the Boston area, Foxborough at Gillette Stadium. So I called up my good buddy, Kellen, who was the same. Um, he was in my freshman class. We were in classes together. We were in tutoring together. We were, we were buddies. Like we, were, we hung out. He went professional after his second year of well, second season. I don't give him two years because he was really only there for a year and a half. Right. Um, I called him up and I said, hey, do you want to go to a hospital visit with Caitlin and I? Now, what happened in that moment was this really special interaction between um, of, of just really what I was watching Kellen do it was not his first hospital visit the reason I reached out to him was because he had actually attended um had been asked to be one of the um kind of like the dates of the T 
teenagers, teenage girls fighting cancer at the local children's hospital for cancer prom. So they asked mm. the whole New England Revolution team to be the dates for the girls. And then they asked a kind of a local, I think it was like a Miss, like a, a Miss Massachusetts you know, program to be the dates for the guys that were fighting cancer that were going to prom. So when I saw this pop up on, I think it was LinkedIn, um, I was like, oh, Kellen like has a heart and like mm. wants to give back. He's not just like a soccer player who like fakes injuries on the field just to waste time. <laughs> um, did I just throw him under the bus like a that? A little or bit what, there. What? Yeah, just right <laughs> It's okay. It's okay. Um, Kellen, if you're listening, you didn't mean <laughs> I didn't mean it, but you know, you know what I mean? Yeah. So um, anyways, what happened there was um, when I called him up, I was like, hey, we could make something of this and we could do something really cool. And so the very first moment to, to now really, truly answer your question, the first moment to take it beyond the hospital visit was when we created Kellen's Nigu Crew um, with the very first kid that ever got to go to a very special game um, of Kellen's at Gillette Stadium in Foxborough was actually a kid that we met on that very first hospital visit. And his name was David. Um, anyone who Googles Kellen's Nigu crew will see a photo of the back of Kellen's jersey and the back of a, a kid's jersey and Kellen's hand is on his head. And it's the infamous photo of the very first Kellen's Nigu crew visit. And the formula was simple. It was getting the kid fighting cancer to feel like a kid for the night, not feel like a kid fighting cancer, not right. put this label of this big C word cancer on top of him. It was no, go be a kid at the, at the field, just like any other kid was that night watching a soccer game. The other formula was make it a super special experience. So let's bring him on the field. Let's let him walk a lap. We called it the gratitude lap after whether Ke Kellen it finished a win, lose or draw, they walked the field and the fans stayed after the game and clapped for this kid and encouraged them, said, David, never, ever give up. David, yeah. never, ever give up. And it became this really chilling experience that really, truly did encourage David in his fight with cancer to never, ever give up. So that was the first moment where we truly created something that extended past the four white walls of the hospital room that can be kind of drab and, and hard but we put it into an environment that was safe and that we followed every precaution necessary to make sure that it was safe for this child. Um, we even had like, in case weather came, we had a plan for mm -hmm. where they could sit that weather wouldn't be of a factor for them. And it was really special, but yeah. I could talk on and on and on about some of the special, special moments that we had yeah. um, and that we got to create. For sure. And I, and for the, I, I also got to experience, uh, a, you know, time with Kellen and, and in Kellen's Nigu crew when I was at Providence in my freshman year, you know, going out with Kellen and Caitlin and you and seeing that firsthand was so eye opening. And, and to your point, the coolest, the coolest part of the night was when I really, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to feel like a really bad New Englander here. And I forget the name of their like, real like the, the fan base that's in that one corner i totally forget the name of it it might just and be the, the some fort yes good job well done california yeah, i think it's that I was really bad the, of me to forget it was that. also i am like questioning myself because kellen was at new england for such a long time that i like definitely knew what it was but yeah. now that he's a sounder yes. up in seattle i'm right. like very much a dedicated sounder but like yes. i love new england and i love what they're what's happening over there like right. matt right. turner yes. matt turner's a legend so like 
Yes. Cheers. But so, but the coolest part was watching the fort just go absolutely bananas, probably even more loud than they were during the game, just for Gabriel was the kid we were with. And it was just so, so cool. And uh, I appreciate you taking me on that experience, but going off of that, right. Yeah, it was very fun, but going off of that, you spent all these years working with athletes, setting up these incredible experiences to the point where in October of 2019, uh, you decided to fa- and you found it. Uh, make it loud. How were you feeling about taking this jump from going, you know, having more of that established brand in Nigu and that established charity to now you're you're doing this on your own. You're you're jumping into this entrepreneurship type of mentality here. It sounds like you know the same thing every entrepreneur says, but like it was a leap of faith and it was the biggest risk that I've ever taken. Um, but at the end of the day, when you are like convicted of something and you believe in the mission and the in the and the the vision of where you want to take something, like nothing can really stop you. So yeah. at the same time, I was terrified and frustrated and like scared. Mm-hmm. I was motivated and energized and excited and just believed so much in myself um, to create something that never really existed. Yeah. Um, so it was, it was a blast, but like, I'm not going to lie. Like I was, I was terrified. October of 2019, I was terrified. I remember that phone call. I remember, I know exactly where I was. And I was like, oh man, like this is really happening. I knew down in my heart of hearts that, that you were going to amount to something like this and, and do something like this. I was just, I never knew when that was going to be. And when I got that phone call, I was like, oh, it's happening, you know? Um, so, you know, here you are, you're going to create this, this, this found uh, this business right and you know being a psychology major i don't mean to call you out but maybe what's one of the like in this creation process what were some of the things that maybe you didn't hear enough about or maybe got overlooked or gets overlooked generally in the class of starting your own business 101 oh gosh everything <laughs> <laughs> i love Every- that answer <laughs> everything everything where to like go and get your own LLC. No one tells you that you need to have a trademark license. No one tells you like how much you should set aside for taxes. Like there was no class that I ever took in school that ever taught me how to do that. Now Mm -hmm. I will, I will give credit where credit is due. I'm working with a client currently who is getting her master's in entrepreneurship. And I know that it is taught somewhere. So (laughs) I'm here for the education that's happening there. It just wasn't the path that I was on. Right. Um, So I, let's just say that I did a lot of YouTube searching. I did a lot of Googling. There was a lot of moments, even right now today, where I will Google search the most obvious sounding question, but there is no encyclopedia for being an entrepreneur starting a business. Mm -hmm. It just, it doesn't exist. It doesn't, there's no instruction manual of how to make it happen because that's the point of being an entrepreneur is creating something that doesn't exist. Um, and starting it from scratch and doing it in the very nuanced and special and um, unique way that you believe is going to set you apart and be a, a little bit of a point of difference um, in the way that you want it to be created. So, man, the answer to your question is I'm gonna... everything. <laughs> I love I love that answer. And but I mean, like you're you're exactly right. It doesn't really matter if you're a business major or if you took all the management classes or all the marketing classes, like. Once you like, if you're doing it on your own, it, you're back at square one. 
right? And like, you know, you bring, you bring a good, a good point. Yes, they are teaching entrepreneurship at schools like Babson, shout out Boston. But like, it's, it's okay, learning how to start a business, but you're not learning how to start your business, right? Correct. Like, it's like, here's how to start a business. But if you want to take it on a different path, then there's no class on that. But so uh, to your credit, you've done amazing. And you, I don't think you need the business degree to start this thing, but um, I guess like, okay, maybe, maybe an easier, maybe this is a harder question, but how did you come up with the name? Make it loud. Yeah. good, Good. That is a good question. So at the end of the day, the purpose that I decided to step away from Nigu and do my own thing was no ill intent towards the the foundation itself. The reason that I wanted to step away was because I had these passions in my heart for causes in addition to kids fighting cancer and bringing awareness to all that is right and wrong in the space of what is going on with um, research for kids, for cancer, um, all, all, all the things that happen in that space. Yes. So my role at the foundation was to help influencers, athletes, celebrities, they're all-stars, use their platform aligned with Nigu to raise awareness for Nigu, raise money, raise awareness, bring attention to bringing attention to the cause. Right. Well, amidst doing that, me realizing that, you know, I had been to Africa before. I am very passionate about street kids in Kenya. Um, I work with a charity locally that works with them. You know, I'm very passionate about the water crisis. I have a very sustainable mind. I am doing my best to to support all of those things in, in all of those ways. I have a yeah. big passion for sex trafficking. I have a big passion for sexual abuse of women and, and things of that sort. Well, when I start to realize this, I was... 3000% dedicated in the childhood cancer space. And this like thing kept poking me that mm-hmm. said, Corey, there's other things that like, like need your attention and need your, your um, mindset to really jump into that space and, and, and go and share with them too. So what I created make it out to do was to help facilitate the heart alignment, heart, like in your chest, the heart alignment between someone who has an influential platform and a charity who might not know or have access to someone who has the platform that an influential person has. Mm-hmm. So the same thing that I did with Nigu, I continue to do with many of my, my athletes at Nigu, including Kellen and people of that sort. Um, but I also get to help facilitate, you know, helping uh, sexual abuse victims, like find alignment with their local abuse hotline to make sure that there's awareness for local um, a- abuse cases so that kids that are abused or women that are abused or men that are abused know where to go. Mm-hmm. And I'm able to help an influential person find that alignment, uh, bring awareness to the charity and make it loud that the attention for that charity, the volume of that attention is really amplified. Um, and by amplifying that volume in turn, more people will know how to have access to those spaces. More people will know how to find resources um, that are at their fingertips. And also these, in, these influential people are doing what they should be doing anyways. They are bringing attention to something that their heart aligns with, um, not for a PR moment, not for a big press release, not for a People Magazine cover, but simply because they should be grateful for the platform that they have and they should be honored for the attention that their platform brings them. And I'm excited to help them facilitate 
amplifying their voice to give back to charities that need their voice. So that's kind of what it's all about. I love that. I love that. And you bring up a good point, just how you were having that kind of internal battle, for lack of a better word, on just being so uh, driven by so many different things that are out there, right? So many different passions for things that you want to help fix, to help the cause, whatever it may be, right? And like, I kind of think of like athletes and celebrities, they want to do like everyone wants to do good things, right? Everyone wants to be a pillar in their society seen as, oh, that that person gives back or that person does a lot for whatever it may be. But how do you kind of, to your point, help an individual, an athlete, a celebrity, an influencer find that one thing that they're super passionate about so that they can not put all their eggs in one basket, but when they do make it loud, when they do speak to it, it doesn't seem half-assed for lack of a better term. Yeah, I always tell people that how it happens is a coffee shop conversation. Um, I really believe in the power of community and the and the power of just having trusted dialogue with someone. And you know, it, because I have so many years of this nonprofit cause related, social responsibility related experience under my belt, I kind of know some of the avenues by which you can utilize your resources to give back and make an impact. Mm. And so when I'm sitting across the table at coffee with, you know, the starting quarterback for an NFL team or, you know, an Olympic gymnast, what happens is, is I start to hear that, you know, their cousin might have autism or their grandma had dementia or, um, you know, a close neighbor that grew up across the street, Asperger's syndrome, you know, their church was talking about sex trafficking. There's these p- things that come up in yeah. our daily life. And all I really do is I just keep poking at it. And yeah. I keep saying like, okay, you made a choice in this conversation to bring this up. Yeah. And it means that it's a burden on your heart. And when I hear a burden on your heart, I also hear that with your platform, you could make some incredible damage in the most positive, optimistic, and beautiful way for a charity who could use your voice. And now, and now it's my job to help them create those digital campaigns, those media campaigns, to not make them step away from their sport. Right. The whole goal that I have with Make It Loud is, you know, they should be going to practice. They should be going to the trainer. They should be making sure that they fulfill all the responsibilities of every single one of their contracts whatever their contract says but it's my job to help isolate that one corner Mm. that they have in their life which is the give back corner it's the philanthropy corner it's the cause corner it's the charity corner whatever you want to call it yeah and when I can focus on that one little corner I can facilitate media campaigns that can raise thousands of dollars for charities by one Instagram post with a swipe up link by true character alignment of that individual with the charity that they want to support it's just it's just the same game as brand um, brand deals that you're seeing people get like every single day yeah the, the deals that you that you you see people activate on are the deals that make sense for that person but the moment that the brand deal feels misaligned with that person the consumer looking at that deal goes wait, I don't get it. Why is yeah. this person representing this instead right. of, ooh, let me click on it and support it. Right. You, you, you bring up a good point of brand deals and we're going to get to that in a second on another topic. But the one thing that I just want to say, I know, you, I know you kind of preach that you're not a psychologist, but 
you just saying like, well, I'm going to poke and prod that a little bit. Like you, like you're getting there, man. You <laughs> you know, like you're, but it's a good point. You know, you're, you're opening them up. Cause if they're going to like, you know, like, well, you know, like this isn't me. I'm just saying like, well, if my grandfather had cancer or, you know, like even if something as silly as like, I can't stand people who smoke or whatever it is, like building awareness for that. Like, you're just going to be able to like, okay, if that's what you're like bringing up on a casual conversation, then let's kind of like move that to more than just a coffee shop chat. Absolutely. And, and not everyone is ready or, yeah. you know, I, I do, I do have to say like, there is still con- some convincing that needs to be done to get people to think about their cause efforts um, as a huge aspect or a huge pillar of their life. Um, yeah. For some people, it's really not difficult. Like with you, was not difficult. It was a part, you know, dimes for a difference that then led to a junior board that then led to the charity that you are going to continue to raise awareness for because of its personal effect on your life. Right. You know, same thing. You had TJ on your podcast just a couple of weeks ago. Same thing with him. His upbringing then had a personal experience and that then led to what his cause related efforts are. So yeah. I think at the end of the day, that poking and prodding is more just me kind of helping give permission to people to say you can do whatever yeah. you set your mind to totally you can you can truly open your heart to it if you can open if you can say yeah my heart is aligned with this we can do whatever you want with it and that's mm-hmm. the beauty in the in the in, in the creativity that i love to do with people i love that i love that so let's talk a little bit about uh name image and likeness because you brought up brand deals you brought up this a uh, new avenue for college athletes, right? And we've talked a little bit about it on this show with past guests, but to kind of refresh everyone, the, the NCAA passing the uh, Name, Image, and Likeness Act to allow college athletes to uh, be incentivized on their own nat, you know, nat, natural platform, Name, Image, and Likeness. Now, here you go. A college athlete already has things to focus on. You have classes to, to, to attend. You have practices, training sessions, uh, you know, rehab, whatever games. And then you throw on top of that now, essentially allowing college athletes to run their own business. How, like, how do you take to a college athlete and say like, okay, let's kind of like take a step back and, and kind of, you know, figure out how do we want to go about this? What are some of like the things that you're thinking about when working with these college athletes to get them to not look at it as such a, a daunting thing right now? Well, you totally hit the nail on the head. Um, because I didn't you, get this. I, I'm right. watching this, you know, I, Jared, didn't, I Jared, was this close. I know, Jared, honestly, I was about to pipe in when you were doing that little intro on NIL, because I was like, at what point in time is it comfortable for me to make a joke that like, you didn't get this, but you totally should have. Like, 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 like a chubby's athlete, like, a, right. You oh, would have been primed for it. It would have been incredible. Anyways, uh, so anyways, um, you hit the nail on the head because, and I obviously I would expect you to because you lived it. It was an experience you had, and you felt all of the pressures of being a student athlete without NIL on your right. plate. Right. So, the the fact of the matter that not I don't know that people outside of college sports really understands is that a student athlete is not just going to class and going to practice. Like that would be a joy. That would be <laughs> just the easiest coasting sort of situation obviously there's work to be done in both and there's like effort to be put into both but a student athlete has weights they have there's athletic training appointments they have tutoring they have sometimes a leadership council sometimes might join a club or two or three start their own club you know exactly (laughs) 
they're also trying right also towards the end of their college career they're trying to figure out where they're applying to jobs they're trying to figure out what is next they're trying to balance home life where the rest of their family is still progressing with their own life and they need to kind of make sure that they're holding to that as well and being a great brother sister you know whatever it might be there is a lot on their plate well my passion that I, why, why I'm stepping into the NIL space is because I truly believe in helping student athletes maintain all of the focus on being the best student that they can be and being the best athlete that they can be. That is why they were brought to that campus. That is why they are being able to be given the opportunity for name, image, and likeness. And at the end of the day, that's the posture of gratitude that I want my clients to have when they are realizing that a x dollar amount brand deal ends up in their dms or in my email inbox i want them to be approaching it with a posture of gratitude that the hard work that they put in in high school every coach that built into their life every parent that drove them to practice they should approach that moment with a posture of gratitude because they have a platform because of all of that so with that name image and likeness is truly having your own business you there are many student athletes that are in a position where they are starting their own LLCs for great financial purposes and great financial reasons um, to make sure that money is getting funneled in the right direction, but also because student athletes are allowed to have their own clinics, create their own swag. They're able to, you know, sell autographs. They're a lot allowed to do a lot more than they have ever been able to do. And having that business mentality of that question you asked me earlier of that moment of where do I start? Yeah. There is no manual for it. So the reason that I have dove in into name, image, and likeness and, and and what Make It Loud is here to do for college athletes specifically is I want to help them run their own business. So I, I want them to be the best student and the best athlete they can be. And I want them to have an incredible NIL business where they're able to take advantage of these new opportunities. But more importantly, I want them to have someone that kind of helps them facilitate all of those pieces of the puzzle. And I'm not going to get into the nitty gritty of who can and cannot do all of that. But unfortunately, to the layman who is sitting on their couch wondering why you know, why do, why, why does someone like me need to be hired for a student athlete instead of their assistant coach or their coach on campus? Well, their coach is legally not allowed to help them, um, do any of these deals or create any deals or sign any deals or even like promote any deals with them. So these student athletes are truly kind of like stuck between a rock and a hard place because they don't have the people to give them advice of how to approach it. It's it's so crazy. You, you brought up a funny point. Like these student athletes are starting their own LLCs. Like I think of like when I went off to college, my dad was like so annoyed with the NCAA amateur quiz that was a hundred questions. Like I can't even imagine going to my dad my senior year of college right now or senior year of high school and, and, and being like, hey dad, can you help me understand what an LLC means? Hey dad, like like how do I cold call? these people or like how do i slide into you know anyone's dms for to get brand deals like when these kids go in for an interview i I mean like i know now in like corporate america just from my past experience like i was always told like don't talk about your sport a lot because they don't want you to they don't want you you don't want them to see you as like single facet right Mm -hmm. but now it's like 
Yeah, when I was an athlete, I also secured you like look at um what's his face from modern day now at Alabama. I, I can't mm-hmm. remember his name, but he's hundreds hundreds of thousands he's of young. dollars. Yeah, mm-hmm. yes, thank you. Like his ability, I mean, yes, he's the he's the starting quarterback at Alabama, so some things are gonna get like thrown his way, but still having to manage that while leading a team to a potential national championship while being a student at the University of Alabama, it's like, okay, that's pretty impressive. So Mm-hmm. The last thing that I want to say on this, and, and feel free to piggyback off of it, you know, going to your point earlier of tagging yourself to brands that speak to who you are is going to be super important uh, for these college athletes. Just speaking from like wishing I could have done this, I when I talk to student athletes about having the ability to partner with someone like a, a Barstool Sports, Bird Dogs, Chubbies. Like, I'll just say like brands that are in my room right now, like be careful because if you want to be known as a barstool athlete, that's fine. Great. But like, is that how you want to be represented moving forward? And I'm not, that's not a knock against barstool. It's, I'm just using them as an example. It's more just like, Hey, is that how you want to be named as your, your, your Instagram handle or whatever it may be? Hey, we could have a whole episode on that very question, that very topic. And yes. I completely agree with something that you just said. And that is that there is not a brand that should not have any student athletes working with them. Because right. I, be- I believe that there is a lot of choice that's going on in this, in this space. And that if someone is excited and passionate about what is happening from the platform of a brand that they want to jump into and they want to represent and and hinge their name image and likeness on jumping on board with that brand whatever the brand is I'm not even going to suggest one or provide an example right now I believe if they've done their due diligence to say I align with this brand then they should go for it yeah so it's not my tactic or not what I carry my clients through. I, I, I definitely take on a very different perspective, but all that to say, I agree with you to say, hey, everyone needs to just be careful. They need to just make sure that they do their homework, that they know what they're representing. And something I tell my clients is I say, you know, I'm even just looking at your wrist just a second ago. You have Pura Vita on your wrist. You have Nigu on your wrist, right? You, you're <laughs> like, you are, you are, you are representing something by just simply what's where, what you're wearing on your wrist, yeah. right? So, okay, you could also have a bracelet on your wrist that says something that doesn't say never, ever give up. You could have something that has maybe a curse word because you just are really passionate about this curse word. <laughs> but you have to understand that 20 years down the line, when your kid is going back to look at your you know, Instagram account and you've promoted the curse word bracelet that was on your wrist, are you proud that you partnered with that company because of XYZ? Right. I just, I, I encourage my clients to think in that direction. So, yeah. or the tattoo on my ribs, right? Right. Like, it's like, it's like, you know, are you going to be happy with that when your grandkids see it? You know what I mean? So Correct. It, it's, and, and to kind of wrap this up, right? Like it's the inaugural year of this. There's no book. So just in the student athletes are learning as they go the brands are learning as they go and the people that represent both sides are learning as they go so hopefully you know as the years go on with this i'm hoping there's going to be some more structure to it right now it's kind of a fun wild wild west <laughs> it is every day i wake up to new emails from new schools with new roles yeah and so i think that all of that will get streamlined 
But here's what I'll say is no one will be surprised by what I'm going to say is my tactic as, you know, the business owner who is accepting clients like from, from universities to help them with their name, image, and likeness business. No one will be shocked to know that I always start brand building and brand management for a student athlete with their charitable impact. Mm -hmm. You won't be shocked by that. That's just the way that I have learned and the way that I have developed people and the way that I have seen charitable impact lead to incredible business success for people. Um, it, it is, it is um, you know, the idea is like the brand as your impact, right? Everyone wants to have an impact on people's life. Everyone wants to use their platform to impact someone's life, whether it's someone who's younger in the sport that you're competing, whether it's your sibling who's up and coming in that same sport and really looks up to you, you want to make an impact on your sibling, whatever it might look like, you want to use your sport to make an impact. Well, I think that there is this question mark as to how to have charitable impact but also create business opportunities out of it for yourself. Right. I'm going to put it in really simple terms. People are wondering, how do you give back at the same time you make money? Yeah. So I have this, I, I'm not going to disclose it here. It's the way that my clients and I work, but um, I have a formula by which we use the impact that they want to make in the world in order to create branded businesses where the charitable impact and the opportunity for you to create business of yourself actually truly align and it's been the most beautiful thing to hop on the call with really big brands around the country and they are shocked when my first question to them is what sort of charitable impact do you guys do not my, my question to them is not oh what what is the the amount that you're willing to pay for my client who has you know fifty thousand followers that is not the first question that comes out of my mouth. The question is always, what is your charitable impact and what, pa what causes are you passionate about? And I, every single time, stump them. I love that. Every I time. Love I love but that. But what's been, what's been really super cool about it is I have been able to help develop these companies to have this charitable mindset and say, okay, hey, we're running into this direction of new business, right? NIL is a new opportunity for marketing for their business. Well, now I have this, you know, agent that's calling me and saying, hey, charities and causes and philanthropic efforts are really important to our generation, to, you know, Gen Z and millennial generations. The altruistic mentality is very important to us. It's the same reason why we sold out of every single place that had Tom shoes. It's the same reason why Bombas socks are like the most comfy and amazing socks that people wear. It's because there's a give back model involved. Yeah. So I'm, I'm on a mission to not only help my clients focus on their athletics and academic success while maintaining a business, but I also have a mission to make sure that every brand around the universe, around the United States and around the world that's working with student athletes has a charitable focus that is aligning them with the charity and allows them the opportunity to give back in their own way, but also align with student athletes to be able to give back through the avenue that student athletes are presenting them. So it's been like the most fun I've ever had and gives me really a lot of energy, as you can tell, to just yeah. be able to continue to make impact and influence people. Yeah. And, and 
I mean, I love that. And if you're a student athlete listening to this and you don't want to talk to Corey after this, I probably don't want to be friends with you. I, I mean, I'm serious. Like you bring up such a, a, a heartwarming point just for this type of thing. Like I think student athletes need to stop looking at it as a pure monetary, like slinging brand deals, like, you know, use your platform for something way bigger, way better. And I, I appreciate you sharing that. And like I said, talk to Corey, please, 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 please. But Corey, this has been an absolute blast. I'm so, so glad that we were able to record this episode and I'm so excited for people to listen, but I can't let you out scot-free without asking that last question. Uh, And I hope you remember it, or I hope you've listened to enough episodes to remember it. And if you don't, you're about to be stumped a little bit. So if you were to write your autobiography today, what would be the title of it and why? Okay, here's the deal. I knew what this question was and I should have prepared my answer for this and I didn't. And okay. so you're going to get a live a live look at my thought process right now. Sweet. So <laughs> my autobiography, I, I'm a very visual guy. So I'm like, okay, if my face was on a book on the shelf at Barnes and Noble. Yeah. On a link on Amazon. Yeah. And people were just looking at my face. There was going to be a title that goes over the top of it. Mm. I probably would, would, it would probably be, I love this pause. Jared, Jared, <laughs> Jared. <laughs> this is pure authentic podcasting at its finest right now. I'm not cutting any of this out. For some reason, I'm like pouring so much value into this answer that you've asked that this question that you've asked me that I like don't want to say the wrong thing with with the thought process being like one day when the book does get written that I I sway my answer from that book title you know what's so funny I think that's how exactly how these people how how my guests have answered it like this is a cemented answer that if they do write the autobiography like they feel like they have to call it this now like it's just that mind like when you get asked this question it's like okay like there's no going back Okay, I think I got it. Okay, what do you got? After this long, drawn-out pause. <laughs> I'll tell you why in a second. The story title would be Your Story, Your Impact. Let me tell you why this took me so long. Okay. As generic and basic as that, as that autobiography title sounds, and obviously when I'm saying your story, your impact, and it's an autobiography, it's really my story and my impact that you're going to about to hear about. Right. I have an entire, a huge inspiration in my life that not a lot of people know. Um, and it's the author J.M. Barry, who is the original author of Peter Pan. Um, and for those of you who maybe have seen the stage musical Finding Neverland or potentially the um, movie with Johnny Depp, Finding Neverland. J.M. Barry is the man who was sitting on a park bench in London and watched four kids who later turned into Michael, Wendy, John, um, and Peter, who were playing around in the park. And as J.M. Barry was watching these four real boys play pirates in the park and have this imagination in their life. Um, it, it was the thing that actually inspired him to write in his journal, 
what ended up being the story of Peter Pan. And the reason that your story, your impact is where I would head with that is because I feel like we all have lived our lives as a story that everyone should believe in and everyone should realize has a lot of purpose in every single moment of every single part of that journey. And at the end of the day, I want to be able to know that if I retire one day or when I retire one day, that the story that I lived had the most maximized impact that I could possibly have. And I want my story to inspire other people to realize that the journey that they're living is purposeful and is making impact waves every step of the way. Um, So I just want everyone to believe from my story that the story that I have lived was one that created impact and so does theirs. That was well worth the wait. A beautiful answer. Probably one of, if not the best answers we've gotten in a long, long time. So Corey, thank you so much. And an unbelievable interview. Thank you again for coming on the show. I hope this is not the last time we have you on the show, but thank you nonetheless. I wish you absolutely all the best. And again, I reiterate this point. If you are a student athlete and have not slid into Corey's DMs or headed over to the website, by the end of this interview, I'm going to be upset. So Corey, thank you again, man. It has been an absolute blast. Jared, I wish we could talk for like two more hours, but no one would listen to it. But yeah, they're going to maybe, be we'll just, <laughs> maybe we'll just do another episode another day. But this was so awesome, man. I'm so proud of you. And keep bringing on really important people who are telling really important stories because I think that these conversations are important and definitely make for an easier run when I have your voice and, and some inspiring stories in my ears. So I appreciate thanks, that. Of course, man. I'll talk to you soon. Sounds good. Peace out. So a big thank you to Corey Tomlinson for coming on this week's show and sharing more of his story, more about Make It Loud, and more about the important conversations that we need to have as a society on the topics of things like mental health, right? I don't think you can say enough about it, and I always love talking to people with different perspectives or different experiences with regard to mental health. So again, big shout out to Corey. If you are a student athlete or a professional athlete listening to this podcast, a celebrity, a musician, a, a, um, an actor, actress, you name it, and you found interest in Make It Loud, I definitely encourage you to reach out, especially my student athlete, fellow friends and, and former teammates. I think namage and likeness is is great. And I like I think you can tell from the interview that I wish I'd had it back in my day. But I think even more importantly, it's so great to be able to align yourself with the brands you care about most. And it doesn't always have to be notable brands, right? It doesn't have to be the things that you see on Instagram for sponsored content. It can be the charities or the foundations that you have grown up loving and have been a part of through your entire life. So if again, again, if you're a student athlete, I encourage you to go check out Corey Tomlinson, go check out, make it loud and make an impact in your circles today. So I'll leave all the links to those things, Corey, and make it loud in the description of this week's podcast. Do not forget that we have some incredible new normal guy, lazy eye merch available. I'll leave that in the description below too. Got some fresh hoodies, got some fresh tees, all the fun stuff. And as always, if you're liking what you're hearing on this podcast, be sure to go check us out on Instagram at normalguylazyeye to catch some clips from all your favorite interviews. 
That does it for all my shameless plugs. And that does it for this week's episode. As always, thank you guys so much for all the support. And I will see you all next week. Thank you.